Well, happy soggy Thursday, everybody. Hopefully uh, you, your family, and your property have made it through the heavy rain with minimal incident. It actually looks like the the heaviest of the rain actually pushed north of the uh, Tri-County area. And it looks like Port Huron on back west seemed to have gotten the, the, the worst of it. So I know in my picturesque downriver community, we got a nice amount of rain, but not too much. And uh, my new flooding index is actually the northbound 75 ramp to the northbound lodge. Uh, in the past, that's been flooded. I've had to drive up on the median around it. It was uh, it was wet but passable today. So uh, didn't have to go Oregon Trail and ford the river. So um, we uh, I don't want to say we got off early because up 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 north towards uh, Port Huron, it looks like they got about two inches of rain which I'm sure they got some flooding. But uh, Chicago, I know that they got uh, some tornadoes. I know that area. Elgin got the worst of it. My sister used to live in Elgin. It's a, uh, I don't know if it was Dan Dickerson or if it's Jim Price who says nice area, but it's a nice area. So thinking of everyone out there in Chicago. Well, this is my absolute worst nightmare. Uh, Yesterday afternoon, a man who was working on the Ambassador Bridge, he fell 150 feet when uh, he lost his footing on the scaffolding down into the Detroit River below. Um, There was a bunch of people fishing and and picnicking in a park along the river. They actually saw the man fall into the water, and they ran over to uh, J.W. Westcott Company. They're a freighter company. Banged on the door, J.W. Westcott Company, they were able to get boats in the water and go uh, save the man within two minutes. Um, as far as I know, last I heard, he was alert and talking when they pulled him out of the river. Uh, he's been transported to a local hospital. He's expected to be okay. Um, he's probably got some injuries, but he's, uh, in his early twenties. So I'm sure, um, his youth helped him there. But, uh, yeah, uh, that's, that's a lot of my phobias all combining into one news story. So glad he's okay. Um, he was up pretty high. I, it was about, it was about, I'd say about a third or three, two, uh, two thirds of the way across on the, uh, American side. Um, Andrew Hall, that man who attacked a woman inside her car at the Troy, in the, uh, Troy target parking lot, uh, before murdering a woman later on in Detroit was given a $5.5 million bond in an Oakland County courtroom yesterday after being rung up on over a dozen felony charges. Um, In court, a Troy police officer detective testified that Hall did confess to both the attack in the Target parking lot and the murder of a woman uh, on McNichols just west of Woodward. Um, Learning more about Hall, he is homeless, and he has a history of home invasion and trying to escape police custody. That along with the um, violent nature of his two crimes, have all contributed to the $5.5 million bond. And something tells me um, he is not going to post that bond. FBI Director Christopher Wray, he testified yesterday in a House Judiciary hearing to answer allegations that his agency is being politicized and weaponized against conservatives. 
Uh, Fox's David Spunt has more from Washington. Democrats accused the Republicans of having an ulterior motive. Ray used his opening statement to talk 2022 statistics. The FBI arrested more than 20,000 violent criminals and child predators. That's an average of almost 60 bad guys taken off the streets per day. And he scoffed when Republicans criticized the Bureau for suppressing the COVID lab leak theory, pointing out the FBI is the only intelligence agency that embraced that theory early on in the pandemic. Yeah, and I was watching this this hearing because it was on yesterday afternoon, right about uh, right about noon, and then it continued on later on in the day. And I'm wondering to myself, you know, how is this playing with nonpartisan America, uh, the, the nonpartisan American public, the ones that don't really um, identify as Republican or Democrat? To me, it kind of came across as, as Republicans kind of airing their personal grievances against the FBI for all the Trump indictments while giving uh, Hunter Biden that that sweetheart plea deal for uh, uh, not paying his taxes. Did he get off easy? I would say yes. Hunter Biden did get off easy. But the accusations against Donald Trump uh, storing nuclear information and attack plans in Iran and in unlocked closets, bathrooms and ballrooms at Mar-a-Lago. To me, they're much more jarring than Hunter Biden getting sweetheart deals for not paying taxes and leveraging his dad's position as VP to solicit bribes and shady international business deals. Absolutely corrupt. Don't get me wrong. But when you stack those against the uh, uh, accusations against Donald Trump, I I think they're much more jarring. And uh, we'll we'll see what comes out of this. Usually these hearings are just uh, uh, a way for both sides to kind of get their sound bites in. We're learning more uh, details about uh, the stabbing of convicted sex offender Dr. Larry Nasser, former Dr. Larry Nasser, uh, that happened earlier on this week. 49-year-old inmate Shane McMillan, he told federal prison officials in Florida that he stabbed Nasser 10 times because he made a comment about wanting to see girls playing in the Wimbledon tennis matches. Uh, the attack was not caught on surveillance camera because it happened in Nasser's cell. And uh, last check, Nasser was in the hospital in stable condition. Uh, look, uh, a comment like that tells me Larry Nasser is exactly where he should be. Um, it, it, it makes him sound unremorseful, unrepentant. And uh, the fact that he is is locked up where he can no longer be a threat to society or any future survivors. Um, um, like I said, it's exactly where he should be because it sounds like uh, he's still he's still um, non-repentant and he would only be a repeat offender if uh, he was not locked up. Confessed Oxford high school shooter Ethan Crumbly and his defense, uh, his defense team, they have officially filed a number of requests when it comes to sentencing the juvenile for killing four students and injuring seven others back in November of 21. Now, according to the filing, Crumbly sees himself as being redeemable and rehabable, and uh, he would like the life sentence without parole condition to be dropped before sentences, uh, sentencing. Now, as reported earlier this week, Crumbly requested to wear street clothes to court instead of the prison-issued orange jumpsuit. My guess is that's to make him look more like a child and try to elicit some kind of subconscious sympathy from from the judge. Um, He would also like to prohibit eyewitnesses of the shooting from testifying at, at the upcoming hearings. 
and he would also like to keep the details and circumstances of school shooting out of hearings. Uh, according to his lawyer, the facts of the crime themselves, no matter how horrific, do not satisfy any of the Miller factors or justify a sentence of life without parole. And these Miller hearings are the hearings that will determine Crumbly's sentences. Um, they were mandated because the U.S. and Michigan Supreme Court, they've ruled that life without parole for minors is unconstitutional. So they're requiring these Miller hearings where a judge will actually look at a number of factors before coming to a decision. Um, as you could probably guess, Oakland County Prosecutor Karen McDonald, she has re- uh, requested uh, the judge to deny all of Crumbly's requests and let the life without parole motion proceed. Or as Tressa Baldus from the uh, Free Press says, she's having none of it. And, uh, you know, why don't we end this segment with a little bit of good news. The Department of Labor, Labor they released their consumer price index numbers yesterday and uh, inflation actually fell 3%. Year over year for the month of June, that's the smallest increase uh, since March of 2021, beginning of the pandemic. And it's way down from its peak of 9% last summer. And I think even better news, uh, the uh, the cost of wages actually ha- rose faster than the rate of inflation for the first time in two years. Uh, that hasn't made it uh, to my wallet just yet, but it's a step in the right direction. It's first thing with Mike Parsons on WJR. All six Michigan Republicans in Congress have endorsed Donald Trump for president almost a half a year before primary season. Adrian Heeman, partner and CEO at Grassroots Midwest, talks about it on All Talk with Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz. Coordinated effort, really, to give uh, support for the former president of the United States. All six Republican members of Congress from Michigan. That includes, you know, Tim Wahlberg, who was just on the program, Isinga, Molinar, Bergman, McLean, John James. They have endorsed Donald Trump for another term as president. And it's remarkable to me that they made this decision so early, Kevin, because we got a year and a half or so until the general. Of course, the primary is less than a year away. So in some ways, it makes sense. I guess the reason is why? Why do they all agree? I think this is a big deal, Tom. I'm going to remember this day uh, because I think that all of the Republican congressional members endorse Trump. And that means they all love him or they all fear him. They think he's the best person in the country to lead us, or they're afraid if they go against Trump, he and his supporters will destroy them. Do you think that's it? That's I think the, it's one or the one other. Of those two. I don't know. I think it's one of those two. I don't think it's in the middle. Huh. I think they love him, and they think that, or they, they think he's the guy who can get it done, or they go, I am not going against him because he will go after me, his supporters will go after me, and my career will be over. I think it's one of those two things. I generally agree with you, except for the word love. I don't think a lot of people well, love, love him. him but, they, but they think he's effective. Like, day one, he's going to go in, and he's going to turn this ship around to where yes, it was in 20, 2019. Yeah, there you Maybe. go. Better word. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. The good, the good news is they're all united. The bad news might be they're all united for Trump. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, let's bring in Adrian Hebon, uh, partner and CEO at Grassroots Midwest. Good morning, Adrian. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me, fellas. Yeah, I appreciate it. How, how does this news hit you that all of the Republican congressional members uh, have come together and endorsed Donald Trump? Yeah, Kevin, I think you're onto something here. Um, and I don't think it's in the middle for any of the individuals, but I think it's kind of a mixed bag for um, the various Republicans around the state. Look, Congresswoman McLean has been a huge Donald Trump supporter, basically from Jump Street, right? Um, and so not a surprise that she would um, endorse the former president. That's her guy. I do think that there are some members of the um, Republican delegation from Michigan that are afraid of the impact it would have on them 
um, in a primary if they were in, to endorse against the former president, um, partly because um, he is very, very popular with the base. But I also don't think that we can discount the idea that the former president has shown a proclivity for attacking people who don't endorse him. Um, and his main opponent in the Republican um, uh, primary process here, Governor DeSantis in Florida, has not, right? Um, he's certainly attacked the former president quite a bit, but he hasn't been attacking people who've endorsed the former president. And so I think that there's a little bit of asymmetry of warfare going on here in terms of how those two men are fighting for the nomination. Congressman Tim Wahlberg was on WJR this morning, and he said uh, something interesting. He said, uh, look, the Republicans are behind Donald Trump because uh, he's been there. He's done the job. He knows how to do the job. He can go in day one and do what needs to be done. He can pick up the phone and call the world leaders. There's no learning curve like there might be with other uh, Republican candidates. Is there something to this? I don't know. I mean, I think the the answer to that is uh, the old bromide, uh, where you stand depends on where you sit, right? Um, if you like what um, President uh, Trump did during his first term, then I, I suppose that that would be the case. Um, if you don't, or maybe you like some of what he did, but you're a little more ambivalent about his personal style and, and you know, some of the real toxic stuff. Uh, I don't know if that's the case. So I think that that's really um, different voters are going to perceive that differently. Yeah, you look at some of these candidates. and So Tim Wahlberg was one that was speaking to us this morning on WJR. But there's, you know, John James, for example, he says his reasons for supporting Trump is that he's already proven to be successful in areas like the economy and uh, the reputation of America around the world, the global standing of the United States. And he brought up border security. And he thinks that he, because of those issues, uh, his track record on low inflation and pro-family policies, those types of things, that's why he's going with him, because he's already proven himself. That's why I think there is some middle ground here. I don't, I don't think a lot of people necessarily like Donald Trump's personality. But is there something to be said, okay, when you now you've got a Donald Trump track record and you've got a Joe Biden track record, and you compare those those two things up against uh, against one another and, and compare and contrast. Yeah, I mean that that clearly seems to be the idea for Republicans. I I don't know that that's a risk free strategy, right? Um, the, these two men already had an election against each other once, and the former president lost it. Um, so I don't know in terms of a general election strategy whether that's the right move for them. But it's certainly true that, um, you know, people people know Donald Trump, right? Um, whether you're a Democrat, you're a Republican, you supported Donald Trump or you didn't, um, it, it's all pretty much priced in there, right? With the stuff you like, the stuff you don't like, you know exactly what you're getting. From a, uh, I guess, a Democrat's perspective, are they looking at the Republican field and saying, actually, so-and-so would be a better candidate in my view, kind of uh, behind the scenes? Democrats in general think that their best chance to see Joe Biden reelected is Donald Trump being the Republican nominee. They're far more afraid to run um, Joe Biden against Ron DeSantis or really any Republican candidate who's under the age of 70. Right. Um, and I think that that's something that a lot of Republicans are missing here um, as they pile back aboard the Trump train. Right. One of the main complaints about Joe Biden is that he's too old to do the job, right? And that's uh, that's reflected in public opinion polling. Even Democrats hold that view. Um, and it's tough for me to see how nominating a man who's in his late 70s um, is, is a way to weaponize that with the American electorate. Um, I do think that Democrats would have a far tougher time against a Ron DeSantis or a Nikki Haley or a Tim Scott or any of those candidates that are under the age of 70. 
I like to look at the uh, independents, and I like to look at the everyday folks who don't pay attention to any of this. They don't. They they don't pay attention to this until right before they go and vote, and then they kind of decide uh, in, in the last month or so. And and I think you're onto something. I think like Joe Biden, uh, the the issue for these folks is going to be he's too old, and for Donald Trump it's going to be he's too mean. I don't know if they're going to really see this great contrast between. Uh, life under Donald Trump and life under Joe Biden. I don't know how much it has changed for everyday people who are just going about uh, living their lives. Is that is that a real thing, do you think? I absolutely think that's a real thing. And I think you're right to look at the independents and the people who are not terminally online posting on Facebook and Twitter every day about politics. Those people's views are priced in. They know what they're going to do. Um, they're not persuadable. Right. Um, And I do think that there is a very strong appetite in the American electorate on both sides of the aisle and with independence for someone to present a positive vision for the country going forward, not relitigate the battles of the past. And that seems like what we're getting with, you know, the uh, the matchup we're likely to have between the current president and the former president is relitigating the battles of the last 10 years. I don't think that's what most Americans want, regardless of partisanship. The uh, Detroit News, they surveyed uh, some of the state Republican leaders here in Michigan, and there's a vast difference on how many of them were endorsing Donald Trump versus what we clearly now see in this uh, federal uh, congressional delegation. Why do you think that is? You know, I think that the members of Congress are far more likely to draw fire from the former president um, because he knows who at least some of them are and, and would have to deal with them if he got elected. So I think that that's a, a big part of it. I think the other thing is that um, most voters don't know who these state lawmakers are, with very, very few exceptions, right? Um, they vote based on partisanship. They vote based on, I know this person's name, or, you know, I, I met them at a Kiwanis, uh, you know, event last year. Um, but they don't actually know much about them and their policies, as opposed to the members of Congress who are on TV all the time and right. have millions of dollars spent on advertisements for yeah, them. Yeah, the, the state ones, you, you see a Planet Fitness, right? or something like that sometimes. Yeah, I appreciate it so much. Adrian Hemon, the partner and CEO at Grassroots Midwest. Adrian, thanks so much. And uh, if you're trying to see the Northern Lights tonight, it's a little bit iffy. The best time to see them would be between 10 and 2 a.m. It's going to be cloudy most of the day, but may clear up in time. Yesterday's NATO summit started with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky unloading his frustrations with NATO and the U.S. on Twitter over their non-committal timetable for admitting Ukraine into the alliance. President Biden, Zelensky, and NATO, they seem to have smoothed things over and after the two presidents met. But what does a NATO and Ukraine alliance look like while they're still at war with Russia? Lieutenant Colonel Daniel Davis with Defense Priorities on JR Afternoon with Chris Renwick. So the situation that NATO finds themselves in is precarious because it seems like without saying the word no, NATO's just kicking the can down the road. They're just, they are in no rush to bring Ukraine into the fold. And 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 I got to be honest, it's because there is an ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Vladimir Putin does not want to attack a NATO nation. That would be, at this juncture for, for him, uh, suicidal. It would be, it would be, it would be a really poor idea. And, and. It seems to me, and, and maybe Lieutenant, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Danny Davis with defense priorities, maybe you can clear this up for me. 
it, it, it doesn't seem that NATO is saying no, but they're definitely saying no, or at least not right now. And until this kind, <laughs> until this war is over, I don't think there's any chance in bleep that NATO's getting in, or excuse me, that Ukraine is getting in until this thing's over. No, no, I've, Chris, you, you have absolutely hit the nail square on the head better than any other person I've heard today talking about this stuff. Everybody wants to talk around the issue. They want to talk about you know what was promised and what was what's being offered in, instead of just the the bottom line. And I have poured over every word of of the uh, the communique that was issued uh, by NATO about the G7 declaration that was issued subsequent to that. Uh, Listen to the speech by Zelensky and and, uh, um, Stoltenberg and then from uh, President Biden and and the other G7 members. And and there is no doubt that they are not being offered uh, anything that's even approaching an actual uh, timeline. In fact, Stoltenberg very expressly said uh, they will not be invited until, quote, conditions are met and, and members agree. Well, two of the key conditions are you have to have all ethnic disputes within your borders resolved and all border disputes resolved. Well, Ukraine has been in a civil war since 2014. It's still in that, uh, even in addition to the, the Russian portion. And the obvious border can issue is not resolved and is not going to be. And until those things are, meaning until there's a peace agreement that all sides agree to, there's not even the possibility of meeting the actual conditions. Everyone in NATO is aware that nobody is even has the slightest interest in bringing in Ukraine during the war because they know that that would be almost immediately turning into a war, and they're not going to do that. Uh, we're willing to help Ukraine. We're willing to help arm Ukraine to defend themselves, but we are not willing to go to war on behalf of, of uh, Kiev in a thing that can only harm our national security. We're we're not going to do it, and I I pray that Biden continues to stand by that. Well, and I think of the other stipulation, one of the other important stipulations, if you want to be a NATO uh, member, is you've got to be a democracy. And and Ukraine is like a a quasi-democracy. You you mentioned the Civil War. They're not a a full-fledged democracy, and I know you can throw Turkey in the mix as as being maybe an exception, uh, certainly a little bit to that rule. Um, but but the, the, the thing that I found most striking today, and we're going to get to whether or not it benefits the United States for Ukraine to be a NATO ally in a moment. But but the president said today that NATO is more united now than ever in history. That's a quote. I'll paraphrase what NATO said. They said, well, until everybody's on board, until we've got everybody on board, um, you we're not going to offer that membership. So who's who's lying here? Is is this really the most united NATO in history, or are there still the factors that aren't for this yet? Well, I, I mean, that's that's always a, a matter of interpretation and opinion. Uh, but I mean, it's it's really impossible to to make that claim valid because during the Cold War, when it was a standoff between the the East and the West and the USSR and, and all of its 50,000 tanks and 2 million troops and, and all the nuclear weapons, et cetera, uh, you, NATO was unified. They were a monolith. I mean, they were 100% everybody lockstep uh, without any question. So we have definitely not met that level of unity. And you don't have to look further than uh, than Turkey 
uh, playing this to the maximum and, and withholding initial acceptance of, of Sweden and even Finland until they can get concessions, they can get what they want with EU membership. Uh, you, you have uh, the, uh, the president of, uh, of Hungary, who is definitely not on board and has, has uh, been kind of neutral in, in a lot of these respects uh, and is not interested at all in turning Russia into a, an enemy. So, no, we're not unified on this. Nobody wants war. Everybody wants the war to be over. Uh, but we are definitely not unified on bringing uh, Ukraine into this. Germany especially. They're, they're also not wanting to do that for the obvious reasons. Well, because the moment they become a NATO ally, we are at war. The moment they become a NATO ally, all of NATO's allies, all of the membership now must rally to Ukraine's side. And and while you can do that now with with munitions, you can do that now with weaponry, tanks, aircrafts, whatever it is, it, we would now be committing people. We would now be committing soldiers and boots on the ground. And I don't think any NATO member wants to be a part of that. Let, let's let's suspend belief here for just a moment, if you will, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Danny Davis. And 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 let's just say that Ukraine would be become a NATO member. I like to think as a as an American, how does this affect us? How does this affect this country? And from a security perspective, does Ukraine joining NATO make us more secure, less secure? What, What is our viewpoint on it? What should it be? Yeah, you know, I actually addressed this on Fox News last night, and that, that's one of the most critical components that, for whatever reason, very few people are even talking about. You should never invite anyone into a, a mutual defense treaty obligation scenario unless your security is improved, both the United States and the existing NATO alliance. And there is no rational case that can be made that the alliance would be strengthened by having a member that's uh, on the border with Russia and has long-term, and I'm talking decades-long, disputes with Russia that uh, obviously came to blows in 2014, in 2022, and there's no reason to think that anything that has happened since is going to resolve those things to prevent it again. So even if the war comes to a negotiated end, let's say in 2024 sometime, there's still going to be this animosity and hatred on both sides that could cause this to spiral into a war again in the future. And if you have – just consider, if you gave Ukraine in admission after that, now then they're going to feel a lot more uh, you know, strong and cocky with 32 members of military behind them. So they will be a lot more willing to, to poke at the bear uh, because they think now that it's not just them alone. Well, Ukraine uh, is not going to be drawing uh, – Ukraine would then be drawing us into potential conflict that could go nuclear right away. So, do you really think today, that? Do you really think – do you think they would poke the bear? Oh, for sure they would. I, I mean, why would they not? Because they any negotiated settlement in the foreseeable future is going to require the loss of some territory. There is no chance that they get their 1991 borders back in the foreseeable future because there's no chance they can force Russia off the territory they hold right now. Forget about if they get any more this summer. But So you would have to negotiate away territory now. Then you get into NATO with what's left. So they're going to want to get it back by whatever means, whether now, five years from now, ten years from now. We'll always have that Damocles sword hanging over us because we never know when they're going to want to try to push to get their land back. Well, then maybe that's a that, that in and of itself is a reason enough for, to deny membership. If, if you've got somebody who who would be I would call it reckless, uh, then then that might not be the best person to welcome into the fold 
uh, at this juncture. I, I have about 30 seconds left here. Um, you know, I, I, Ukraine has a troubled history. They are not without blame. There has been corruption in Ukraine, certainly even in the last five years. Um, are, are they completely uh, harmless here or, or did they play a role in this? No, of course, they definitely played a role, as did we, frankly, uh, by the fact that we know now, because it was admitted by France and Germany, that the Minsk Accords, which could have prevented this war from ever starting and saved everyone's life, it was nothing but a ploy to say, no, we're, we're going to – we just want to build up our military so that we can retake Crimea by force. So th- th- we, we could have avoided war. We didn't want to because they, they wanted 1991 borders. They would settle for nothing less. We were uh, complicit in that because we agreed to it. Uh, and, and both all of the West and Ukraine got rid of every chance to prevent war from the outside. And, of course, wow. they just blamed everything on Russia. And, and they did invade, so they do have blame. You can't deny that. All that but, to say, Russia should not be invading another country and taking further territory. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah, I do agree with that, Chris. Um, thanks for pushing back on that. Uh, it's first thing with Mike Parsons on WJR. All right, the gang's all here, plus one. Guy Gordon, Nick Roddy. Lloyd Jackson, and special guest friend today from WDIV Local 4, Jamie Edmonds. Hey there, Jamie. Hi, hey, Jamie. guys. And Thanks for having me. It's early. Good morning. Yes. It is. No, this isn't early. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's early. <laughs> it's Or late, depend, you know, depending yeah. on what stage of life you're in. Did and, anybody have any uh, flooding issues on the way in? I, there, I had a, a pond to navigate. No. No. I, no. No, I didn't have any problems, no. As I said earlier, my, my, my flooding index is me getting on the 75 northbound ramp to the lodge, and there's been times I've had to go on the shoulder. It was uh, it, it was damp but passable today, so. <laughs> well, that's a win. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, I, our, our basement flooded one time, like, years ago, so now every time it rains, I'm, like, I'm like getting everything up off the floor. Oh, yeah. Um, we didn't finish our basement, but we got a deal on a house with a finished basement. And I think if I'm if I'm to do it over again, I'm actually going to um, find a house with a not finished basement, so I don't have to worry about it when it rains. Yeah. Well, <laughs> welcome to Gross Point. You just keep things higher than ground yeah. level in your basement. Yeah. The humidity goes up, and and the Chalmers area floods, right? It's... Yeah. Oh, definitely over there, and especially in Gross Point Park, they've had some issues yeah. yeah you build uh you build your man cave uh on the ground floor or the crates. right yeah or, crates. or she shed yeah that's <laughs> right. Sorry, right you're right uh, yeah there's yeah what's the unisex word for uh, uh for man cave sports cave there you go the there sports go. cave that sounds like a that sounds like a segment the sports cave with jamie edmonds <laughs> um well i know we were all on the edge of our seat but uh, we have found out who is going to be on this uh, next preseason uh, season of Hard Knocks, and it's going to be the New York Jets, which I, I actually think is it, you got to have it right. Right, yeah. Rodgers coming in. Right, exactly, exactly. And, and you wonder how much you're actually going to see of Aaron Rodgers, and obviously there's going to be no contra- uh, quarterback controversy itself between Aaron Rodgers and Zach Wilson. But there, maybe there might be a little bit of drama on the show. There's been some words exchanged in the offseason. And, and my question is, who do you root for? I, you know, I, I, I'd like them both to lose, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did I mean, you say drama in Aaron Rodgers? Because, yeah, that's going to happen. Yeah, that's never happened. Yeah. R-E-L-A-X-D-R-A-M-A, Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> God, he was a likable character once upon a time, wasn't he? I mean... <sighs> 
him and Patrick Mahomes and Jake from State Farm were, oh, yeah. you know, were like the new Rat Pack. And then uh, he got all upset when uh, uh, the Packers did with Jordan Love what they did with him. I mean, it, it, it's the exact same trajectory um, as what happened with him and Brett Favre. And then when when the Packers uh, drafted someone as his possible replacement, that's kind of where he started spiraling and becoming an unlikable character. I mean, to me, it was the, I'm going to retire, I'm going to retire. Oh, wait, no, I'm not going to retire. That was the start for me where I was like, well, I don't think I've like heard that guy. before, haven't yeah. we? Yeah. <laughs> yes, we have. Well, and then just not the, the not showing up yeah. and then saying, well, I'm, I'm vaccinated. Well, not really. Right. You no, know, I think he said, it's he, just the, I think he said, I've been inoculated or immunized. Like he danced around that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's all of those things combined. Yeah. And then the weird retreat he went on. Mm-hmm. Right, like uh, I was going to retire and then I did some peyote magic mushrooms and now now I want to come back. I don't know. I thought he was in the, the sports cave with Jamie. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. that was, uh, there was Different ba- cave. She had, yeah. she had an exclusive there. Yeah. There was bad cell phone reception and uh, I got upset. So now I'm, now I'm going to the Jets to uh, do exactly what Brett Favre did. You know what's interesting to me is he's drama, drama, drama. To me, Robert Sala, the head coach, is yeah. the opposite of that. So there could be drama there on right. Hard Knocks. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but I, you're, you're not going to have Coach Dan. Coach no, Dan. No. Right. Exactly. Uh, who was the star. He was the star. Uh, of that. Yes. Without drama, just excitement and right. passion. I mean, it's going to be a different kind of Hard Knocks. Yeah, yeah I was great point. because It's going to be the exact opposite. Last year, Dan Campbell, Rodrigo. The Lions, they became America's sweetheart, and uh, I think the Jets, it's going to be the opposite. Well, so much so, they asked them to do it again. So, right. yeah, people th- love them. Yeah, and uh, I guess they, yeah, I, th- I th- see, I'm glad you brought that up. I vaguely remember that, and I get it. You know, they're, they're, they're contenders. They don't need the, uh, they, they don't need the, the cameras around. Um, you know, I was pleasantly surprised after Hard Knocks to see Ben Johnson was still on the team last year because he didn't show up, and... Uh, and it just kind of goes to show you that what what you see on Hard Knocks isn't necessarily what's going on. That's true. You think you're getting behind the scenes in Hard Knocks. Right. They're showing you what they, they want to show you. Because yeah. Yeah. last year you would have thought Deuce Staley was the offensive coordinator watching uh, Hard Knocks <laughs> last year. <laughs> yeah. so. um, concerning news, I wouldn't say bad news because uh, this man is an eternal optimist. But we got uh, word today that uh, Dick Vitale is fighting cancer for the third time. Wow. Uh, he beat melanoma. He beat lymphoma. And now, actually, it's probably the worst place for Dick Vitale to have cancer. It's on his vocal cords. Oh, no. Oh, no. And um, he he tweeted out that he's got a good prognosis. They're going to do radiation. Yeah, in six, s- go, six go-arounds. Yeah, that. which I, I don't know. I, and how much does that permanently damage your vocal cords? Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, you know, I don't know if radiation is better than surgery, but uh, he seem, seems optimistic. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, Dickie V was it. I grew up in like the golden age of ESPN and Sports Center. Your your Dan Patrick, your 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 Keith Olbermans, and uh, man, Dickie V's just just a legend not only in this town but just across sports and basketball and culture. I agree. I mean, he's also a wonderful man who does a lot for cancer and, mm-hmm. and kids yeah. and things like that. So it, it's. It's concerning to hear it because he's also of advanced age, if you will. But yeah. he's, he's a nice man. Yeah. yeah, he's an institution. Yes, yeah, right? absolutely. He's, he's, he's reached icon status, and and he never forgot where he came from. If I call no. him for a story for here in Detroit or Mercy, the Detroit Titans, mm-hmm. he's in. 
Yeah. Which tells you a lot about the guy. Yeah. Right. And he was he's not retired yet, correct? I mean, obviously he does he's he's not doing the same workload he 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 did in the past, but he he wasn't done. So hopefully, you know, he can recover from this. Like Guy said, um, it doesn't mess up that that signature voice of his. The nice thing they can do now, my mom went through some of this. They can pinpoint with 3D imaging exactly where they want to hit it. So it's not like a, it's not a, it's it's a scalpel. It is a very precise scalpel that we use. So uh, get well soon, Dickie V. Awesome, baby. We'll be right back. (laughs)